Amen. Amen. Um, children can be dismissed for Children's Church. Your teacher will meet you in the back. No children. Okay. No children today. And today, if you're a guest with us, welcome. We're glad you came to worship with us. Wonderful to have you. And um, we are just, we just go through book of the Bible. Today, you happen to join us when we're in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and your bulletin, I think, says verses 6 through 13, but we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter 6 through 16. So in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this passage to you? 1 Corinthians 6, from verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one com comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So um, as we've been doing, I want to always bring us back a little bit so we can see the flow of what's taking place um, and keep in mind the pattern of the previous section in, in the first chapter. Paul told the Corinthians that they were leaning on the wrong kind of wisdom, meaning they, they had not yet broken free from the mindset of that culture in which they lived in Corinth. Their factious behavior showed that they were still carnally minded. Um, just recently we finished Galatians and we saw there the, the fruits of the flesh, right? And the, Paul mentions here, quarreling and jealousy, which is part of that list of the fruits of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. So they were still walking in that old pattern. In chapter 2, he reminded them that when he first came to them, his simple presentation was just what Jesus had done for us. It was just the word of God. He didn't try to be a great orator or, or wow them with his scripture knowledge. He just presented the cross of Jesus Christ, and he trusted in the power of God to touch their hearts and help them receive it. He believed the Holy Spirit would reveal the truth of the message, 
and move in them. His faith wasn't in wisdom or in man's ability. It was in God. Verse 6 again. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the ruler of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Scripture tells us there's two kinds of wisdom. There's, there's the wisdom of man and there's the wisdom of God. And, and we've already seen in, in this letter how they're so opposite. In fact, the wisdom of man, God says, is like foolishness to him. This earthly carnal wisdom is, is even demonic wisdom, which is accompanied with jealousy and selfish ambition. But the wisdom that is from above, this is James 3.17, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's the heavenly wisdom. How different. You ever tried to reason with somebody and, you know, just share the truth that you know and found that they were not open at all? And their response was anything but gentle <laughs> or impartial. <laughs> there was no willingness even to consider what you were saying but merely an effort to stay fixed in their belief. That response is sympathetic, or I'm sorry, symptomatic of earthly wisdom, that I'm, I'm not going to hear a thing you say. I know what I believe, and I don't care what the truth is. I don't care what the facts are. It's what we should expect those from those with a worldview that this life is all there is. To expect otherwise is unreasonable. God has to open their eyes to the realm of the Spirit, and that can only take place when we come to the cross and are born again, and our spirits are brought to life in Christ. Consider the battle between Moses and Pharaoh. Pharaoh had earthly wisdom. He wanted to, to hold on to this labor force that he had. He said, who's the Lord that I should listen to him and let the people of Israel go? He instinctively knew that if he caved to God's demands, he would not keep the Israelites as laborers. That's earthly wisdom. It's, it's so determined to have its way and not bend, not give, that it will charge between walls of water to its own demise. Now we look at that and we go, that's insane. <laughs> but that's worldly wisdom. But the wisdom from above says, you cannot fight God. You will suffer great lo greater loss if you do. That Your gods have no power, but the creator is all powerful. Your Im the immature Christian has the same struggle to try to follow Jesus while holding things that God tells us we need to let go of. Be wise, fellow believer. You lose more by holding on to the world. Moses knew God's ways, but the scripture says the people knew his acts. What a difference. That exemplifies these two kinds of wisdom. Everyone can see his acts, but to discern his ways from his acts that we witness takes the wisdom that God imparts. The wisdom, that wisdom, is what those who are gifted to teach convey to mature believers who have an ear to hear. 
it's foolish to think that with our limited intelligence and our, our meager five senses that we can compare our wisdom to that of the eternal God. The wisdom of the world is bound by time and by man's limitations. Those who think they don't need anything outside themselves are doomed to pass away. Their pride keeps them from receiving the wisdom that comes from above. Wisdom that applies not only to this age, but also to the age to come. Verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. The nature of God and his ways are plainly seen in creation. Romans 1.20 tells us that. They are even more clearly, though, revealed in Scripture. But this hidden wisdom is more than the natural man perceives. Notice in this verse and in the previous one that the secret wisdom is beyond time. It's not a wisdom of this age. It's an eternal wisdom. But it has now been imparted by the decree of God. And the reason that it's been imparted to us is for our glory. Wow. That's what the scripture declares here. That wisdom is that Jesus, the incarnation of the, of the word of God, has paid our sin penalty so that we could be right with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, sanctified, and become the bride of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen. That needs a big thank you, Lord. The glory that will be revealed in us at Jesus' appearing is the outcome of his revelations. The church adorned as a bride for her husband because the bride is the glory of her husband. Amen? That's what the scripture declares. From another perspective, we are the body of Christ and share his glory for the two shall be one. The word one in, in Hebrew is this word echad. It speaks of combining two things together and and calling them one. And the first use of it, of course, is in Genesis 1, when he makes the evening and the morning the one, the one day, it says in, in Hebrew. So we have two things that become one. It's used of man and woman also. Jesus prayed about this marvel in John 17, 23. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. Now that is indeed a mystery. And it's not only our present experience in Christ and he in us, but it's our future hope when the outworking of our sanctification is complete. Verse eight, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Wisdom of both Jewish and Roman earthly rulers miss the purpose of life and creation. It shows how their wisdom is nothing compared to spiritual wisdom. They miss the savior of the world and condemn the one who came to save them through his sacrificial death. To be a king with everything you can desire is utter poverty compared to being a child of God. Who in their right mind would value momentary pleasure over eternal glory? Who would cling to temporary glory of this world if they perceived the eternal cost that they would incur for their rebellion against their creator? 
Crucifying the Lord of glory is the clearest demonstration of man's limited understanding and lack of eternal wisdom. Paul writes that here, here that they, they didn't know, but you know, it seems to me some of them, like those within the Sanhedrin, at least may have suspected that Jesus was the Messiah because Nicodemus said to Jesus, we know you are a prophet who's come from God because no one could do the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. So had they carefully read the scriptures, they would have known the Messiah is mighty God, everlasting father. Surely they read it, Isaiah 9, 6. But the fact that they didn't understand it demonstrates again this difference between worldly wisdom and the wisdom that comes from God. You know, the Spirit has to illumine what we're reading so that we truly understand it. Remember that the scribes told Herod the city in which the Messiah would be born. We just sang about it, Bethlehem. And still, Herod tried to have Jesus murdered. Is that crazy or what? Can I, can, can, if we, if we knew the Messiah God is coming, do you think we're going to be able to stop him? That's insane, but that's worldly wisdom. The leaders tried to disprove his signs of healing, such as the, the man, the sight, healing the sight of the man that was born blind because it's a messianic sign. That's why they were trying so hard to disprove it. So surely some people did know. What does it mean that the rulers of this age did not understand? Perhaps it means that they didn't know that the Messiah was God incarnate and by condemning him that they were sealing their own fate. The following verse indicates that they didn't understand what God offers to those who love him. In that sense, they were unable to have that heavenly wisdom that sees what this world offers is nothing compared to the coming kingdom life in the presence of the glorified Christ. Paul calls Jesus here in this verse, the Lord of glory. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament and it comes from Psalm 24.10 and it's talking about Yahweh Saba, the God of angel armies. It's basically Paul is saying the God of heaven <laughs> is Jesus. He, he could see the oneness. He knew that they were one. Paul had personally experienced Jesus and lived in relationship with him. The wisdom decreed before the ages was to a degree imparted to Paul in the word and in prayer. And he knew the insanity of trying to resist God because he'd done it before Jesus appeared to him on the road of, to Damascus. And looking back, he could see how crazy that was, how the world's wisdom was foolishness. Verse nine, but as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, this is Paul's kind of paraphrasing Isaiah 64, four. Sometimes when we quote a scripture, we don't quote it exactly, but we get the essence of it, and that's what Paul's doing here. What God prepared for those who love him is that the Son would be incarnated and sacrifice himself for our salvation. That's the mystery that was hidden through the ages. The culmination for us, who are the bride of Jesus, 
is the glory that awaits us. Jesus will share his own glory with us, the scripture tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2.14 and in Romans 8.17. Now, I, that's one of those ones where I just go, that's way beyond me, that Jesus would share his glory with us. But that's what the scripture declares. That's like, God is good, I, I understand that, but this is way beyond that. This is God is incredibly good. He's better than I can possibly imagine that he would be willing to share his glory with us. Try as we may, nothing in our experience comes close. If we really believe this and we glimpse it in our spirit, the world's going to have a lot less pull on our lives. We need a greater vision of what Jesus has in store for us, which is the wisdom before the ages. We know it includes the greatest thing of all, experiencing his loving presence unhindered by our old nature. We will finally be all we were created to be in the kingdom prepared for us before the foundation of the world. Now, when Jesus, before Jesus ascended, he said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, right? And if I go, I'll come again and receive you to myself so you can be where I am. He wants to be with us. It took seven days to create this incredible earth. And he's been working on your home and mine for 2,000 years. Now, how awesome is that going to be? Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The us in this passage probably refers to the apostles and prophets. In Greek, it's in the emphatic form. They were all proclaiming the same good news. Remember at the beginning of the chapter of the book we were talking about, some say, I follow Paul, some Vesephus, some Peter, so forth. And here he's saying it's the same messages from all of us. We've all received this same message. They're all proclaiming the same good news, the same revelation. Salvation comes through a revelation given from God. It's grace and not works. The new mindset of the truly mature believer is to serve one another in love, not to exalt ourselves over others. How different from worldly wisdom. Applied to the Corinthians and all who have a tendency of exalting themselves over others, Paul is communicating that the wisdom of God is expressed in Christ-likeness and humility and service, not elitism or putting oneself above others as being more spiritual. The Corinthians were exalting themselves by claiming they had the best teacher. That, that's where their quarreling came from. No, my teacher's better than yours because this and this. No, no, mine's better than yours because it's really their pride that was doing that. Remember that Jesus said, the greatest is the servant of all. What an upside down way of seeing things. But that's heavenly wisdom. Paul's going to speak of the mature and the infants in the opening of the next chapter, applying the lesson in this passage. The word mature is not used in the way they might have applied it as exalting themselves above others, but rather the mature are the humble. Verse 11, 
For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. You may think you know a person, but unless they share from their heart their deepest longings, you really only know what that person presents to other people, what he acts like on the outside. Now, we all know some people who are one way in private and another way in public. And maybe you think, well, that's true of me sometimes. In fact, I think it's true of most of us at times. Paul's using that universal experience to say you don't really know God unless you let the Spirit of God reveal God's heart to you. That wisdom Paul's been talking about comes by revelation during our intimate times with Jesus. Our heart must be open, not just our mind. You know, while I was writing this, the Supreme Court was weighing the Roe versus Wade situation and the Texas new law. And they mentioned that since the decision was made, 62 million babies have been aborted. You can hear that as a statistic, as a bite of information, or you can feel the pain in the heart of God that so many innocent lives were exterminated. Tears came to my eyes, and my heart just ached when I heard that. How barbaric. But how the heart of God aches over the hardness of the heart of mankind that we allow such a tragic thing to take place. Are we intimate with Jesus so that we share with, to some degree that pain that he feels? Or is it just a statistic? In a Bible study, someone asked me about suffering with Christ. In Romans 8, we're promised that if we suffer with him, we will reign with him, we'll be glorified with him. And here in America, we rarely experience suffering for our faith, at least not in the way of outward persecution. But the Spirit of God revealed a wisdom that wasn't from my mind. It just, it, it comes to you in a flash. The heart of God suffers with those who are suffering. And when we intercede for those who are suffering and bring them to the throne of God and are willing to feel God's heart for them, then we suffer with him. Am I willing to weep over them? I'm sure Jesus does, for he wouldn't tell us to weep with those who weep unless he did. He tells us that he sympathizes with our weaknesses in Hebrews 4.15, and that word means he feels with us in our weaknesses. Are we willing to do that in prayer, to suffer in prayer as we intercede? The world asks why we would even consider doing such a thing. I mean, you've got enough problems of your own, don't you? Why would you suffer for other people and their suffering? Worldly wisdom says you shouldn't bother yourself, but the wisdom of God draws us to do so, compels us in love, and is compensated, Scripture tells us, with eternal reward. Verse 12 now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The wisdom from God is not just memorizing scripture and using it with your mind. 
It's the life of Christ in us revealing things to us through the scriptures, but sometimes simply directing us in the right way or giving us the right words. Recall the account of the Pharisees asking Jesus about the woman caught in adultery. Jesus didn't just rattle off a scripture. You know, he, there's a number he could have quoted. In fact, sometimes he did at the leading of the Spirit quote a scripture in response. But as our perfect example, he stooped down and wrote on the ground while he heard from the Holy Spirit. Only then did he speak those words of heavenly wisdom. Let he who is without sin among you cast the first stone. Another example is the time when they tried to trap Jesus by, by flattering him and then asking him uh, about paying taxes to Caesar. And Jesus said, show me a coin whose inscription is on it. There's no verse in scripture that tells us what exactly how to answer that question. It was, it was a trap. And the Holy Spirit revealed that to Jesus and gave him the words, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what belongs to God. The perfect answer came from the Holy Spirit. Wisdom comes from above, from the Father. There were principles in the prophets, but the wording had to be exactly as it was. You can give to Caesar taxes the government demands, these little silver coins, the silver and gold that'll perish, but your life belongs to God. Verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We refers here to all believers as opposed to those who operate out of worldly wisdom. The Spirit gives us insight into the word and our experiences in life, and we share those spiritual truths with one another in words taught to us by the Spirit. He helps us with the expression of those spiritual truths that he reveals to us. That's what fellowship is all about. We share what the Holy Spirit's teaching us, and that builds one another up and encourages us and helps us all grow in that wisdom that's so contrary to that of the world. We need to realize that we are strangers in a foreign land. Amen? And if, if you can use the term aliens. That would go over really well here in Sedona. <laughs> we're, we're from somewhere else. Amen? Our home is heaven. I like Sedona, but I love heaven. The Bible so clearly tells us that this world is not our home. And like Abraham, we're seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. We just don't quite fit in here. Our values, desires, and vision are so different from that of the world. And God's solution is for people to enter the kingdom of God. The world's solution is more laws and more government control. You know, they don't have... We've been looking at uh, the Truth Project, and I would encourage all of you to look at uh, Lesson 10 or the 10th uh, the one. On, look up tr just Truth Project. Don't put the in it or you'll, it'll take you somewhere else. Truth Project, Lesson 10, about the founding of our country. We, we just had an incredible time last Friday evening looking at that. The Founding Fathers 
almost unanimously said, we need to build our foundation on religion, and they defined that as Christianity, because out of Christian, Christianity, religion comes morals, and without th those two foundation stones, it doesn't matter what you build on. I mean, if you don't have those two, eventually it's going to fall apart. Because if there are no morals, there's chaos and anarchy. And whoever's in power has to make more and more laws to restrain the anarchy. And, and then you just have oppression. It's an ugly thing when government um, it finds itself not submitting to God when it finds itself just being man and man's wisdom, it becomes so destructive. So God's solution is for people to enter the kingdom of God. The world's solution is more laws and more government, but history's taught us that giving more power to the state ends in catastrophe. Giving more power to the people will only help if the people are godly, if they have that moral foundation. So where do we turn? What's the answer? It's to make disciples of all nations. Amen? That's the only thing that'll change things. That's the only way we can have stability here in this world. Continue to build the kingdom that's here in our hearts now and will one day be over the earth when our king returns. Revelation 11:15 reads, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Therefore, while we live here in a world as a minority, constantly bombarded with distractions and temptations of the world, let us focus on building one another up in love and advancing the kingdom in the hearts of men and women. Let us impart to one another in words given to us by the Spirit the things that are freely given us by God. And let us bring the light of Jesus to all who are seeking. Amen? Verse 14, the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for they're folly to him and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It's fascinating to see how worldly people take what seems so obvious to us, even things of the natural world, uh, data and history, but that we interpret one way and they interpret completely differently. We see the wonder of God's variety and the beauty and design. They see accidental order that happened through billions of years of chance. We see the son who loved us and gave himself for us. They see an enlightened man killed before his time. We see contradictions in their concepts and their blindness to truth while they claim that's what they see in us. There's one difference between us the spirit living in us has taken off our blinders. Hallelujah. We're no longer desperate to interpret things in a way that would give us the freedom to indulge our flesh in, in insignificant things of the world. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. The spiritual person sees things as they truly are because we have the mind of Christ. The world can and it does judge us, but their judgment is foolishness in the eyes of God. 
Immature believers will judge us, but their judgment is not according to the word of God. What matters is God's judgment, not man's. Consider how many people were offended by Jesus and harshly judged him as a blasphemer and one who was leading people astray. But God judged him as righteous and exalted him to the highest place. Don't let the opinions of people affect your soul. Be concerned about God's judgment above all else, for his judgment is truth. That, that's a trap so many of us fall into. We get depressed and discouraged because somebody, somebody judges us according to this world's wisdom. The only opinion that counts is the Lord's opinion. Verse 19, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul's not saying we can instruct the Lord. He's saying that when we are in the spirit, our thoughts are in accord with Jesus and his eternal truth. The world will argue with us, but the mind of Christ is unchanging. You know, their textbooks will change almost year by year. Our textbook never changes. Amen? I remember when I first, uh, first day of chemistry in, in, in college, and the professor told me that this book that I, we're giving you, your textbook, is not going to be good in a year or two from now. And I said, thank God, my textbook's forever, <laughs> and it never changes. Hallelujah. Amen. Not one dot will fail from this word. Not one promise will lack its mate. Our only problem is, is, as believers is understanding it correctly. And that cannot come from mere study. Though study is definitely necessary, it must come from a right handling of the word of truth. We need the Holy Spirit to show us and bring the word to life in our minds. Which verses explain the ones I'm studying right now? We must ask ourselves if we're seeking to hear from God to affirm something we want to say or if our hearts are open to just hearing the truth. We must come to the word with an open heart, ready to hear what God has declared, regardless of our opinion or how, what it may cost us. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask Jill if she would lead us in a closing song, and then I'll bring the benediction.